I think that the organization of the business was probably the biggest thing. Developing, not having a sales staff, but having an estimating and PM staff, and then really building relationships with landscape architects and designers throughout New England. The other thing is just bringing technology into the business. I'm not afraid of technology. I'm not afraid to implement technology. Uh, I think that's really been a, a stepping stone for my company to elevate versus some of my competitors. Welcome back to the Pool Chasers Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Viafania, joined by my co-host, Justin the Bearded Plumber Bowie. Yes. And today we've got a very special guest. We've got Andy Everly of Environmental Pools. How you doing, Andy? Good. How you guys doing? Good. Great. Awesome. So, man, uh, tell us about where you're at in environmental pools. You have some uh, rich history and you're on the East Coast. We don't talk to too many East Coasters. <laughs> yeah. No. So we're... Uh... We're about 36 years in business here. We started out in 1988. I'm a second generational pool owner. Um, we're about, we're located about a half an hour outside of Boston. Um, so we, we're in the snow belt. We service and build uh, pretty much throughout New England, primarily in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, some in Vermont. Um, you know, that's pretty much the geography we carry or we, we touch down it. Um, our main focus is just gunite swimming pools, high-end residential gunite swimming pools. So, is that typical in your in your market up there? The gunite product? Gun? Uh, yeah, there's there's a fair share of gunite. A lot. There's a lot of fi- the fiberglass market's good size up here. That's well. what I was curious. Yeah. And, yeah, fiberglass and vinyl are decent size. Gunite. I, I mean, gunite's definitely big. Um. I'm not sure what the biggest market share is, whether it's gunite or, or fiberglass, but nice. So give us a little bit of uh, history. I mean, what were things like uh, when your dad first started? I mean, why did he even get into it in the first place? Because you said this was uh, 88 that the uh, company was started? Yeah, so he, uh, prior to founding this environmental pools, he worked for this company called Aquatech. They were probably one of the largest pool builders in the country back at that time. Uh, they had about six different um, buildings throughout all of New England. And I think they're doing a couple hundred pools a year, which is pretty substantial for this particular area, given the seasonality of the business. Um, and it, at some point he decided, you know, that the company wasn't going in the direction that he he envisioned it to go in. Uh, he was head of operations and ran their whole construction department at the time. And he made the decision to go out and start his own company and uh, with the passion. And he, he had passion for the design-build aspect. So he, he spent a lot of uh, client-facing meetings and design work and went out and started his own company in 1988. And uh, here I am, X amount of years later, you know, holding the baton. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I obviously I grew up in this industry, so you know I've seen a lot of different things. Um, I've seen things done a lot differently throughout the years, um, and you know where I am now, or you know my company from when I took it over is about five times the size of when of when it was handed to me. Wow. And you know I've been fortunate 
that we had such a strong foundation to be able to really <clears throat> grow as fast as we have. Uh, and I had a core group of people that have been in the company, you know, even when I was growing up that I worked, you know, hand in hand for now they're now they're work for me, which has been great. So we have a lot of guys that are tenured, a lot of guys that are skilled, skilled, um, that have been with us for a long time. So it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool environment. How old were you when you got started? <laughs> I started bending rebar probably in about seventh grade, doing all the, gr doing all the grunt work, learning. I mean, I you know, like from a work ethic standpoint, I, my, I'm the oldest of three brothers. I have three younger brothers. Um, we were always, we, you know, we always were driven to work. We played sports, but it, you know, within the summertime, it was football practice and it was working. So we'd work 5.30 in the morning till whenever we get out and we go to football practice at night. And so, you know, we were we got raised in that type of environment where we, where we learned things from the ground up, which has really helped me, you know, looking back on it, it really helped me uh, grow fast because of the knowledge base I have from the building aspect of it. And then, you know, the business side of it came in later down the road. But that being able to understand the product that you're producing is huge. Um, so that's you know that's kind of my backstory. I've been I've been involved in all parts of the the process, not as much with the service department, um, but enough to be enough to where I need to know. Yeah, that must be an East Coast thing because uh, Justin from Virginia, right? Maryland. Maryland. Sorry. <laughs> Justin, being from Maryland, you know, he's talked about, uh, you know, at a very young age, everybody knows that you go to work. And I hear that on a lot of podcasts, too, where it's like, you know, that's what we've lost in this country. And we're not getting, you know, people in the trades is because we're not that free labor isn't there anymore. Because, <laughs> you know, in certain <laughs> states, man, they just they just throw you into the fire. Yeah, no, definitely. I, mean, I think, you know, for us, it, it was fun because, you know, I same thing i come from an athletic family it was it was a blessing for my father because he had a bunch of athletes that wanted to work <laughs> and you know build muscle because you're tying rebar and be you know hang out together all day long and then do your thing you know after you've done work so it was fun growing up around it you know a lot of my closest friends worked for this company when i was younger and you know they moved on to do other professions but it, it was it, it was a cool environment at a young age that's a great sales pitch. I love it for fo for football. You want to get bulky? You want to get strong? Like come do some rebar. Go bend a rebar all summer long. When uh, when did you yeah. take over, or when uh, when was your journey started? I guess as the CEO. Uh, so I've been in this position now for about six years, five to six years. Um, prior to that, you know, I leaned heavily. Throughout college and then after college, I was heavily involved with like the project management side and the overall operation side with everything. Uh, you know, as I started to move my way up within the company from a business perspective, my father always kind of gave me free reins in terms of looking at the financials and understanding uh, job cost thing, understanding the types of jobs we're doing, the types of jobs we should be doing. Uh, to really get a handle in my mind, the mix of what I want to do. Uh, I never was handcuffed from uh, making decisions that I felt were right. 
you know, there was always a conversation that we had. So I didn't, you know, and just go out the whim and do stuff. But I was never necessarily handcuffed from from pursuing or, or thinking I'm going in the right direction. Uh, he, uh, he, my father always allowed me to kind of make a decision for myself and stood by me. And then if he, you know, if he thought I was making a wrong one, we'd argue about it and kind of work through it that way. But it was, it's, it, it's been a very, it was a very healthy relationship and it's still, I mean, I could, I still use him as an encyclopedia mm-hmm. when I need to. Right. So it's like that, that mentorship was crucial to me to really help develop my skill set and my business decide like the business decisions I made really drove from that kind of mentorship. So when you took the reins, what were some of the changes you made right away or what were some focused goals you had for yourself? Yeah. yeah so coming out of the business, coming out of college and looking at the business, I just really honed in on, you know, the profitability side and the efficiency side and you know up here there was a pool model probably just like other parts of the country of this model that whoever built this is the way these pool companies run with used car salesman type people that don't have much technical aspect they get a bid sheet on excel you plug in the linear footage you plug in how many skimmers the lights you know all that kind of all that type of process to come up with the sale so I, I really started looking at that, and then what happened was we had a lot of sales guys that were doing that type of work. I came to find out I was managing some of those sales guys and their projects, and to me it, to me it didn't make any sense why a sales guy, number one, would get paid that type of commission, to then hand the baton off to somebody to execute it, you know, when some of the stuff didn't line up with how it should have. Mm-hmm. So some of the biggest things I did was really evaluate and disassemble for that matter the sales teams um, and really focus more on the project management and estimating side uh, as be, so the estimators and the, and the PMs are more the salespeople than the salespeople are so that way the people that are forward facing with the client and with the product actually knew how to take the project from A to Z you know without just the sales pitch but actually the technical aspects of it and the and the ability to put it together from from a pricing standpoint so they're almost more specialized in like building out the pricing structure <clears throat> and then closer to the construction side right because that that plays into it, it right like un- understanding the construction process and then pricing it i closely connected exactly understanding the hydraulics the plumbing we need you know how, how we're going to form that because it's all out of the air we need to use steel tech that's not just you know all these different things that come into play when you when you should be when you're pricing a job, not just based on a linear foot or a square footage price. You know, there's so many things, especially when we deal with rock and ledge and different site conditions where we can't make pools so tight to clay or however you know whatever the situations are across the country. We deal with a lot of variables, mm-hmm. so that it's it's not as black and white in my mind as just you know pricing a job like that. So. I took the approach of really honing in on that more of a professional estimating and PM side of things than I did a sales side. Um, and it, what it did for me is it helped it helped with the gray areas with the clients. It helped me, you know, it helped me really manage and build the staff that was involved with, you know, financially how the company was going to run, um, not just looking to get a commission check. Did you did you get rid of the salesmen you had, or did you retrain them when you did that? 
No, so I yeah, so that was probably no, I got rid of them. Wow, and uh, that was that was probably the top. So that at a young age, I was given the opportunity to make that decision because I, you know, I I went down this road. I, you know, I thought it was a, I, I, it is the best thing that I've ever done. But at a young age, some of these guys are with us for twenty years, mm-hmm. uh, and the decision was made, and we haven't I haven't looked back. That's interesting. I I think about some businesses we work for and. I know exactly the salesman you mean. They kind of use the Excel sheet. They get it as close as they can. And then when shit hits the fan, they usually call us looking for some sort of help, <laughs> some sort of break. Correct. That was a big kind of hurdle or change within the company. And then, you know, there's been a lot of other things with just moving people that I've had in this company to different roles that I felt were best suited for them based on the, the restructure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've used, I, I hired an electrical firm. I bought an electrical firm. I took an electrician that was doing very good electrical work. I turned him into a PM for pools. Oh, wow. Uh, because I could see his attention to detail and how much he cared about things. And I think, you know, for me, it's about just the characteristics of people. You know, I think that people can be taught just about anything. But, you know, the, the quality, integrity, and the characteristics is kind of what I look for to help grow the business. This episode is brought to you by Lion Financial. Offer your customers the industry's best financing options and sell more pools. Lion Financial's low rates and long terms give your clients more buying power by making a pool affordable one low monthly payment at a time. They offer unsecured loans with low fixed rates, terms up to 30 years, single loan amounts up to $200,000, Options for credit scores of 640 plus and no 6% consulting fees like other finance sources charge your customers. Lion Financial pays builders directly, ensuring payment on time and in full. Call 877-754-5966 or visit lionfinancial.net today. All right, now back to the episode. So what are some of the most valuable changes you've made to your business? I think that the organization of the business was probably the biggest thing. Developing, not having a sales staff, but having an estimating and PM staff, and then really building relationships with landscape architects and designers throughout New England. The other thing is just bringing technology into the business. I'm not afraid of technology. I'm not afraid to implement technology. Uh, I think that's really been a, a stepping stone for my company to elevate versus some of my competitors. It's just, you know, technology is scary to some people, especially, you know, some of the old timers that have been in the industry for a while. I mean, they're not willing to bite off a, a whole different structure of how they do things or how they got to review things. So I, that's been huge. That's definitely been huge. Speaking of technology, what do you guys use for like project management? So uh, we use Build-A-Trend. I built out Build-A-Trend strictly for how we use pools mm-hmm. with all the material selections and everything that we kind of our process with the pools and tracking schedules and milestones and things like that. So that, that's been huge on the pool construction side. Was that the first software that you had tried to integrate or... No, before that we had Evasys. We ran Evasys probably for about um, I don't know, close to eight years, maybe seven or eight years. Yeah. Uh, and then we moved away from that. Just you know, in my mind, just keeping up with the, you know, now I like the cloud-based aspect of it. Mm-hmm. 
being able to do things everywhere, being able to be on my phone and have something look like Facebook where I'm getting live feeds on what the guys are doing all, all the time and things like that's been, it's been substantial. What, uh, you said you had it customized, like, uh, give me an example, like what are some things that you did? Uh, so, I mean, I brought in all Pebble text information with all the materials and selections. I brought in all the tile vendors that we use with all the pictures of their materials and selections. Oh. Um, you know, I pre-built out all these Gantt charts on how the pools are built so that we, we convert a client, you know, they get a pre-built Gantt chart and how the project's going to timeline out and where that comes into play so we can forecast cash flow and forecast all the phases so we can look at really, you know, I can, at any time I can look at, all right, I got 60 pools to gunite, 20 pools to excavate, all these pools to permit. So I, you know, I, I can really get a snapshot of my business efficiency quickly. Yeah from a pool standpoint. That's awesome. What do you, ha oh, sorry, go ahead, Greg. What do you have in terms of employees? Like you said something about you, you brought in an electrical firm, right? What, who do you have in house right now for you? So we have, uh, so I have about close to 70 employees. Wow. Um, so we, so we have a construction process. We have a construction team and we have a service team. Uh, service, I bet there's probably about, uh, 30 are devoted to service, maybe 35 that are devoted to service. The others are construction and admin. Service for you, is that pool maintenance or is that pool repairs or what's under that umbrella? Yeah, pool service, weekly service, bi-weekly service we do. And then we, you know, our biggest thing we do, we have to open and close pools. Uh -huh. So we have to winterize pools and we have to reopen them in the springtime. So that's a huge part of our service process. Wow. So how do you get all those people to subscribe to your mission and make them passionate about, you know, how you're driving the business? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. you're, cl you're clearly doing it right no. somehow. So no, I, I think, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know the, I don't know if there's a simple answer to that. Right. I think that, I think it's not just me, put it that way. I think that the morale of the company, I, I mean, I think, I'd say, yeah, it starts at the top, but I think the overall morale is a trickle-down effect. I think all my guys care, or at least seem to care for that yeah. matter. Um, but I think, you know, they all, everybody gets along, right? And then when I hire people or when I look to hire people, I look to hire people that I feel is going to be a good fit. You know, they could be the best plumber or the best service guy in the world. You know, if they're going to come in here and, you know, be that type of personality that I feel is going to mix up what we got going on. And I don't care how good you are. I'm not, you know, same thing. I grew up playing sports my whole life. Right. So you can have a superstar. If you want one superstar, you can have, you know, pay up analogy with the Patriots. You can have Tom Brady and a bunch of random ass people <laughs> that win championships over and over. Right. So it's like, I, you know, I'd rather take that type of mentality than, that so I think my my people all work together. We all help each other out, right? Yes. And that type of camaraderie is really what the buy-in factor. Just they see that and they live that. I like that analogy. You could have one superstar. Or, yeah, I like that. So, so, so I want to go. I want to go back just a little bit. I'm curious on like what is your thought process when making decisions, you know, especially from the very beginning where maybe you know that you need to, to implement processes and kind of look at budgeting and, 
you know, you're going to set up how we're going to approach the landscape architects. I mean, because it's like one decision, one decision that you make could very well affect, you know, other departments and other people and different things like that. I mean, how, you know, what is kind of your, you know, mental checklist of, you know, how am I going to make this decision and how am I going to roll it out and implement it to my team? Yeah, I think the communicate, I mean, depends on what, depends on some of this stuff, whether I communicate it with the guys to really get feedback on different things. And then I kind of gather that information and make what I feel is the right decision. Uh, I think at a young age or when I came into this out of college, I've been exposed to it since I was in seventh or eighth grade, right? So, you know, you see things for 10 years and you, you know, I'm not making calls when I'm in high school about different situations, but you see things. I think I retained a lot so that when I felt the time, when I felt like my time was my time, you know, I had facts in my head and I had examples and I had situations that were real situations that I could look back on and I knew it needed to be changed, right? So I think that's kind of what drove the first five to 10 years of my uh, business decision life. I think now it's more just working with the people I have in place because I have tremendous respect for them and what they've been able to do alongside me. That I think, you know, now it's a little bit more collaborative, like, hey, you know, where what do you think we need? Do you think we need this or do we not need this? And these guys would be straight up with you. Like, no, we, you know, I could take more, you know, I could take that off someone's plate. I could do this or no, we, you know, there's been a pain in my ass. I just can't seem to find the time to do this. You know, we, we should, can you, it'd be nice if we could fill this gap. And, you know, a lot of those decisions now come about it that way, to be honest with you. And you'd be surprised how many guys, you know, a lot of times the guys, you know, if I bring up a problem or I talk to these guys about things, a lot of these guys personally will step up and say, you know, I can take that on. I can, I can take that on, um, which has been good. That's awesome. I wish, I wish we had more guys like that. I don't know if that's an East Coast, West Coast thing, but it seems like that's, that's hard to find these days. More people looking to get stuff off their plate, I feel like, in general, but that's awesome. Are there decisions you make that are based on kind of making more money? Like what are some of the key things that you're looking for uh, when it comes to, I don't know, budgeting, finances? A lot of the finance side of my decisions primarily come on the efficiency side. You know, looking at what, you know, when, so for instance, build a trend, right? So build a trend, cut out two or three people in my office in terms of them being able to do, like, I don't need full-time schedulers. I don't need, you know, all these people behind the desk to communicate selections and get selections because I can release a selection to, to Justin right now and he can look at the tile and click off that he wants this tile or this pebble, right? So there's a lot of time savings that happen. And then, you know, so financially, I look at things that I can put in place that reduce time that I can then either make more money or I can reinvest into developing the business somewhere else. Uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of what I, that's how I approach things. Um, it's like, all right, so if, if you're not doing this, cause we have a system where I'm putting this in place, you know, now I want to have you reevaluate and start looking at focusing on how I can, you know, increase my equipment upgrades and service or whatever the, whatever the circumstance is going to be. Um, yeah. 
Do you think you have to really level up in using technology and all these different things? Because, you know, if you're going to call yourself a luxury builder and you're going to work with, you know, some of the best landscape architect firms in your region, I'm sure that they're going to expect you to deliver a specific type of product. You know, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what's expected of your company? Yeah, so, so same thing. So the so the pool side of it, obviously, we have to build the highest level pool, structural pool, hydraulically designed pool. You know, that's one part of it. But it, the business side of it, so I think that I, we have that. You know, I think even before I came in this company, when my father ran it, he, was, he always did high quality. Always, you know, the people always cared about the product. I think the other part of that is at this level, in this day and age, the expectation is extremely high with communication, documentation, delivery of proposals, uh, execution of RFIs, change orders, handling, you know, billing, handling and how that's done, you know, timely enough with, you know, lien waivers or whatever it is. So the whole professionalism side of the company uh, from a business side needs, in my mind, needs to go hand in hand with the product that you're outputting. It's all in one. To my in my mind how we communicate and how we build and how we process things and how you do shop drawings and get the shop drawings approved and things like that that starts before the project's even built so they have an expectation of what we're producing internally with office and paperwork and and dialogue at that point and then that needs to execute right into the build process and how we're building the pool and then turning it over into service is each one of those phases uh like QC'd? I mean, is there somebody checking off, you know, every time, you know, a phase is done and then, you know, it can move on to the next thing? Correct. So we, I have three full-time project managers. Uh, they manage close to 10 million a piece throughout the course of the year. And those guys are seeing their individual projects or projects from start to finish. And they're communicating with the GCs and the clients and they're scheduling manpower and and tasks that need to be done based on based on their particular jobs and is that communication usually done through builder trend i know it's easy to kind of keep your company in builder trend but you know the outside usually a lot of times people don't want to use something different yeah so builder trend handles all that lines of communication and scheduling for all the projects and all the project managers so I haven't used Builder Trend quite as much, and I'm not going to turn this into a big Builder Trend ad. Um, but is it? Do they usually get like a notification um, when something is kind of pinged to them specifically, or are they at somebody, or is it through like a text, or you know? Because I'm assuming if you're relying on that project management, that it's got to be pretty quick sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you can set it up for text message or an email or. Yeah, there's a, a couple of different avenues you can go in. Yep. Nice. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the difficult things that have happened or some struggles you've had, challenges? Yeah, I think challenges, I think, just like everybody else, is really just, you know, COVID, right? Just like erupted and then you deal with that and you're dealing with, you know, just the lack of, the lack of manpower you know, granted, we have a fair share of employees. It's, you know, there's always times you could use another 10, 15 guys and wish you guys had people in the batter box to, to step up, you know, if you needed to. 
So I think sure. that that's probably been that. My biggest challenge is pro is really in my mind mentally is how do I how do I fix the problem of labor, uh, from getting them intrigued in this industry and teaching about this industry, and then how do I train in this industry? You know, this industry is it's not like the you know around here you have to have a plumber's license or you have to have a master electrician, you have to have a master's plumber's license, you have to you know HVAC. There's so many different you have to have you know years and years of schooling and training to even get to get this license to do any of this stuff you know the pool industry in general is somewhat rogue with that um so i think the challenge and the things that i'm that i'm starting to lean more heavily on is figure out how i can resolve this issue for myself uh within this particular area that i'm in to continue to kind of attract people to to be part of it how are you going to do that what have you come up with uh, you know, I think all I, all I, so I think there's two things. I think that I have a strong feeling that the product you put out and, you know, putting out a product that we put out and some of these other guys put out can naturally attract people because people are like, wow, these are, you know, it's unbelievable. You guys can build this and see the stuff that we see. So I think that's, you know, if I, I'd like to say that continuing to build the projects we build will be one way. And the other way is really just to put together a, a training program um, that we can really kind of milestone and progress, you know, employees up a ladder that's actually legitimate, you know, both financially and educationally so that they're intrigued to stay. That's interesting. I'm doing something similar here, too, although it's taking much longer than I'd like. But that seemed like a like a. Same observation on my end, like give them almost like a like a path. It's very like set out. This is your financial set. This is your skill set. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and then, and then I'm hoping, you know, I'm you know I'm in the process of finishing a huge building that we're going to be moving into that I'm putting a training facility in. Mm. Uh, then I'm hoping, in my mind, that you know this all works out and that the word gets out. And that this thing can become bigger than I ever thought it was, you know, when it comes to training and getting people to fly up here or see, you know, be a part of something that isn't necessarily available other than going to a trade show or, uh, you know, you know, spending two days before a, a, a trade show, really. So tell me about that. That facility, is it, are you going to have pools in it or what's that going to be comprised of? Yeah, so we so we uh it's twenty one thousand square feet. Wow. Um, I'm not I'm not going to focus on putting pools primarily into it. I'm going to focus more on the mechanicals of the pools. Mm -hmm. Um, to really, you know, to me it's more the mechanics of it because I'm not trying to use it as a show pool for sales. Right. It's really going to be more just mechanically to to show cl clients, landscape architects, and then employees. You know how to operate the technology that goes behind these pools. Why things are built this way. Why there's bypasses here. You know why why we do the things that we do from a technical standpoint more than just a pretty a pretty pool. Twenty one thousand square feet. That's freaking enormous. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. So, in your experience, what are some of the most difficult things that you see people getting hung up on when it comes to, you know, building swimming pools. You know, if you're like hiring, you know, a certain, you know, 
type of uh, phase of construction? Is there something that's just, you know, getting more difficult to find, like a certain quality in a person? Service. Yeah, service technicians. So, I mean, I think plumbing-wise, rebar, form crews, excavation crews, you know, all that type of stuff, I, I don't have any issues with. Uh, to me, it's the service end of it. And a lot of, in my particular area, a lot of it has to do with seasonality, right? So we'll build all winter long. You know, we can, we'll, we'll build pools all winter long. But the service-wise, <clears throat> we have to shut down a lot of pools. So the amount of service where I go a winter is next to nothing. So a lot of the things that we, you know, a lot of the problems I have, I have to lay guys off that are service tech because there's nothing for them to do in the winter. So they, you know, they usually stop working around Thanksgiving and then come back in March. So that, that's, you know, it's a deterring factor of being able to retain some of the employees is just the fact that they're not going to be working for a couple months throughout the winter time. What do they do? Do they go do something else or? Some of them collect, some of them do something else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, why did you even get into service? When did you decide to do that? Uh, we've been in, I've been in service probably for about, I'd say like 20 years. Say, I think, you know, for me, <laughs> service is where service is really the end game for everything. Um, from a business standpoint, right? It's just reoccurring revenue. It's always going to be there no matter what the economy does. And I think, you know, I, I like the ability to, you know, turn a project over and continue to maintain that project, update that project. So the, there's a sense of control around it too that I like as well. When do you guys stop building, by the way? Do you guys build? I mean, I know your service stops in the winter, but do you guys build year round? Yeah, we build all year round. It's crazy. We, uh, huh. We have people at tent. We they throw tents around it. So, I mean, I have clients that drop a hundred grand on a temporary tent just to get the pool shot over the winter. Time. <laughs> oh shit! What do they do? Just yeah. load it with like area heaters and tent it, and yeah, diesel heaters with forced air. And then we we have a glycol machine that we use. So we put we have a glycol machine. It's like ground ethar. So we we put that on the ground with heat blankets, and we can defrost about a foot out of the ground in about twenty four hours. Oh no way! Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that can be grueling for the guys at times, but, you know, that's what it is. That's crazy. Yeah. So what are the pools like in uh, New England? Because I always think, you know, more, you know, kind of luxury, traditional, um, you know, totally different than what you might see in Southern California. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the pools we do here are 8,000 or 8, 800 square feet or bigger. So a, a pools are a decent size around here. We do a lot of 20 by 50s, a lot of 20 by 40s. Wow. A lot of a lot of the stuff up here is rectangle driven, especially with the architects. And then given the nature of the area, you know, the automatic pool cover is a huge factor up here um, for cleanliness in the fall and then just retention on heat. So we do a lot of pools that are rectangular you know, negative edge pools, but that can accept the cover. You guys using a lot of stone up there or what's the decking predominantly up there? Yeah. So the decking up here is all pretty much natural stone. So it's all granites, um, blue stones, some of the, a decent amount of imported material from like China, yeah. some of the denser product, the, 
the, the porcelain's become a huge fad, which I can't stand uh, <laughs> just because I don't like working with it. But that's a big thing. That's starting to become a huge thing up here. What about wood? You guys get into wood, wood deck? Yeah, ePay wood's big. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's pricey, so, right? Yeah, we probably do about a dozen jobs with ePay around them. A lot of ePay wood. For people who don't know what that is, it's composite, basically composite-looking wood, right? Is that right? It's like a, it's a Brazilian hardwood, I believe. It's one of the densest and hardest woods out there, really. Wow. I think in the world. It's, it's um, sweet, though. I like the way it looks. Right. You, you said earlier a lot of your pools are out of the ground. Is that <clears throat> what is that? You you have a lot of hillside stuff, or? Uh no. I mean, I mean, like a lot of when we build the pool, a lot of times the soil condition doesn't allow you, you know, to dig it tight necessarily to the back of formwork. So a lot of our pools were over dug by a couple of feet based on soil conditions or site conditions that then we're, you know, we're forming with two by threes, steel tech and other, other mechanisms to hold that shell. And then we backfill up to it. So we can't, we typically can't dig like a nice tight, tight area around the pool and carve the stairs in and the sun shelf. And a lot of our stuff is going to, it's over dug and has to be constructed with either geofoam or steel tech or however we end up doing it. What is that steel tech? I've, I've never heard that before. That's a, uh, we, we use that on every day. That's a fiber. It's a, instead of using like a pegboard, I don't even know if you guys use that, but it's a fiber induced mesh. So it's, you shoot up against it and you don't have to strip it. You leave it as part of the structure. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's cool. I have to look that up. So Andy, it was awesome learning about you and your company. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and find environmental pools? Yep, so we're uh, in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. It's about half an hour outside of Boston. Uh, and we're soon to be moving to a town called Bolton, Mass, where our facility is being built right now. Awesome. So Obviously, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, right? Facebook, Instagram, yeah. Our website, environmentalpools.com. Awesome, man. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. It was awesome talking to you. Looking forward to following you guys and seeing what you guys got cooking, especially when that facility hits. Awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below or poolchasers2.0.com. This episode was produced by the amazing Kyle Ald. I'm Greg Viafania, and you've been listening to the Pool Chasers podcast.